The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. You've probably heard that investment banking is one of the highest paying jobs you can get right out of school. But how much do you make exactly anyway? There can actually be a pretty big range and there are multiple factors you need to consider to figure out how much you're likely to get paid. So if you're thinking about going into investment banking, today I wanna give you a few things to think about to help you make the best career decision for you. And that way you can make sure to land the highest paying job possible right out of school. So in today's episode, I'm going to talk about, one, how much you can make as an investment banking analyst right out of school, two, What are the four factors that determine your year-end bonus? Three, what you can do to make sure your bonus is as high as possible. And four, a detailed rundown of how I spent my first year salary and bonus to give you a sense of what kind of lifestyle you can have. With that said, let's dive right in. So back in 2008, when I graduated into investment banking, the standard base salary for a first-year investment banking analyst at a bullish bracket bank was $60,000. My first year, I ended up becoming the top bucket analyst in my group, and my bonus was $55,000. When I signed my offer, I also got a $5,000 signing bonus. That means that pre-tax, I made $120,000 in total. That was almost 15 years ago. Due to inflation and also just the increase in competition for top talent in general, analyst pay has increased pretty significantly over the years. First-year investment banking analysts at bulge bracket banks today, on average, make $85,000 in base salary, with the bonus that's 50 to 100% of your base salary, depending on a variety of factors. Most firms also give a $10,000 to $15,000 signing bonus when you accept the offer. So this means that you can make between $140,000 to $185,000 your first year out of school. Sometimes it's even possible to make more than that if you work at an elite boutique bank, which didn't exist back in my days as they only started after the 2008 financial crisis. Elite boutiques can pay even more than bulge bracket banks because they work on deals that are just as big, which means the deal fees are equally large. But at the same time, elite boutiques typically have fewer employees to pay and they have less overhead. So everyone gets a higher base salary and higher bonuses. Now, starting salaries for a first year analyst at a elite boutique is usually $95,000 instead of $85,000 with similar bonus ranges of 50 to 100%. In the most extreme cases, after factoring in the bonus, I've worked with students in Wall Street Mastermind who have made $200,000 all in just in their first year out of college. Now, if you're wondering whether I'm jealous that analysts today get paid so much more than I did when I first started out, hell yeah, I am. Now, what determines your bonus? Well, there are four main factors that determine the size of your bonus at the end of the year. We've already touched on the first one, which is the type of bank that you work at. As I mentioned, elite boutiques tend to pay the most right? Followed by bulge bracket and middle market banks. I would say these are the top 50 banks or so out there, give or take. And worst case scenario, even if you can't get into one of those, you can still get into a regional boutique, which are smaller firms that focus on more specific niches. It could be a certain geographic area or a certain industry vertical like technology or healthcare. A lot of these banks only have up to a few dozen employees though. So the teams are much leaner and the firms typically work on smaller deals. But even at the regional boutique level, you're probably still looking at 
low six figures after everything is said and done. And oftentimes the work-life balance will be a lot better. So there is a trade-off to be made here and it's not all bad. Now, the second factor that determines how much of a bonus you're going to get is how your firm did this year. Okay. So most investment banks pay a percentage of the revenue generated to their employees. This means the more revenue that gets generated that year, the larger the overall bonus pool is. This is another reason why it's important to join the best bank possible because they tend to win more deals. Check out the deal fees data from ft.com here for the first quarter of 2021 as an example. Now, if you look at this table, this shows you the top 10 banks in the first quarter of 2021 based on the amount of deal fees that were generated by the firms. Now, surprisingly, Goldman Sachs is at the top of that list with over $3 billion in fees generated. And they're followed by JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley. And those three firms are typically considered to be the top three firms in any type of ranking that you're going to see year to year. Now, you'll also see that the difference between the top firm, Goldman Sachs, at over $3 billion versus the 10th firm, which is UBS, at over $700 million is a pretty big difference, right? There's a more than four times difference from number one down to number 10. And so this just goes to show that the difference between even being at a upper echelon bulge bracket bank versus at a lower tiered bulge bracket bank can sometimes be a big difference on the size of the bonus pool. Now, that's not to say that Goldman Sachs is always going to pay more than the other banks on this list. In fact, Goldman Sachs is actually known to pay a slight discount to the rest of the street because they know how prestigious their brand is. And a lot of people out there would rather work for Goldman Sachs than some of these other firms. And so they're able to still get the best talent, even if they're paying a little bit less than their competitors. Next, we're going to look at what group are you actually in? Within the bigger banks, there are multiple industry and product groups, right? And each bank will have different strengths and different weaknesses. So for example, the technology investment banking group is really strong at Morgan Stanley, but not nearly as strong at Deutsche Bank. And I know this because I've worked in both groups. So in addition to the performance of your firm, your group's specific performance will also affect the size of the bonus pool that you get paid out of. So see here again for Q1 2021 data from FT.com again, this time breaking down which firm has generated the most deal fees within each vertical, okay? Also note the relative fee pool between different industries. The financial sector has had by far the highest fees followed by the technology and the healthcare sectors. This makes sense as those are typically some of the most active industries in terms of deal activity. And the more deals that are getting done, the more these banks are going to get paid. And as you can see, if you were to work in say consumer staples, the bonus pool is naturally gonna be much smaller than if you worked in financials, right? But of course that assumes that there's the same number of bankers covering consumer staples than say financials. And typically that's not going to be the case because the bank is going to allocate more resources to cover the bigger markets, right? So you would expect that the financial institutions group at most banks to have more headcount than the consumer staples group, which also means you're splitting the bonus pool with more people. Next, let's talk about perhaps the most important factor of all, which is your performance relative to the other analysts in your class. This is also the one factor that you can control the most because a lot of the times firm performance and group performance are driven by the senior bankers at the top and not by you. And group placement at larger firms can also be kind of a crapshoot, right? And so there's no guarantees that you'll end up in the group that you want. So here's some advice on how you can beat out the other analysts in your class to get that top bucket bonus like I did during my first year. The first thing is that first impression is everything. Your first week on the job can make or break you for the rest of the year. This is because once people establish their first impression of you, it rarely ever changes. 
And so if you start off on the wrong foot, you will be fighting an uphill battle for the rest of your time at the firm. Now make sure you're the first one in and the last one out, especially when you're first starting out. Ask to take on more work, have a good attitude, and show that you're the hardest working analyst in the group. People will remember that. Second, it comes down to how fast can you finish your work? This is very important because efficiency is one of the most highly valued traits in investment banking. If you become the type of analyst who can finish your work twice as fast as the next guy, you will be able to take on more projects, which means you're adding more value to the firm. Third, comes down to how reliable is your work? Because being fast alone is not enough. If you're fast, but you make a bunch of mistakes in your work, then you're actually just slowing the team down because your associate will feel like he or she can't trust your work, which means they have to check everything you do super carefully and then send it back to you for you to fix all the mistakes. So no matter what, always make sure you double and triple check your work before you submit it for your associate to review. By doing this, you're making your boss's life easier, which will only get you better ratings during those performance reviews. Last but not least, are you working on the high visibility deals? This is really determined by the three points above, which is that if you've made a good first impression on the team and you're consistently doing high quality work in the least amount of time, the senior bankers will notice. So whenever they have a high profile deal to staff, they will often go to whoever they think the best analyst is. The highest profile deals also tend to be the biggest deals. So you'll get more credit on the bigger deals. Plus, these deals look better on your resume, which will then in turn help you with things like private equity recruiting or hedge fund recruiting or just anything else that you try to do after banking, which could eventually result in you, say, ending up at a bigger fund. Now, as a first year associate in private equity, the compensation difference between a mega fund and a middle market fund could be up to $100,000 to $200,000 a year. In the instance of, say, Apollo, which this year actually paid their first year's $550,000, that's even, I would say, three to $350,000 more than some of the smaller funds. So it can be a drastic difference. And it all starts with how good of a job are you doing while you were an investment banking analyst? How did I end up spending my first year salary and bonus? Well, like I mentioned at the beginning, I made $60,000 in base salary, a $5,000 signing bonus, plus a $55,000 bonus at the end of the year. Now you take my annual salary of $60,000 and you divide it by 12, and that gives me $5,000 a month. I also try to save more aggressively and put 20% of my monthly paycheck into my 401k. So after my 401k contributions, I was now at $4,000 of pre-tax income. My federal taxes were about 19% of my pre-tax income, and my California state tax was about 6%. So in total, I paid 25% in income taxes or about $15,000 out of the $60,000 pre-tax that I got. On top of that, it turned out that bonuses get a different tax treatment. And I was shocked actually to find out that my bonuses were taxed at roughly 50%. So even though I got a $60,000 bonus for the year, I really only took home about $30,000 of that at the end of the day. So all in all, I paid about $45,000 in taxes on $120,000 of income, which is about a 37.5% effective tax rate. Now, this means my net take home was about $75,000 or $6,250 per month. But the $30,000 from the bonus didn't really come until the end of the year. So really, it was more like a $45,000 take home or $3,750 a month. And here's how I spent that money. First, the necessities, right? I lived in a pretty old rent-controlled three-bedroom apartment in San Francisco with two other roommates who were also both working in banking. So we each paid about $900 per month in rent. And so if I subtract that, 
from the 37.50 per month that I had, I'm down to about 28.50. Next, there's food expenses. Fortunately, when you work in investment banking, your firm will actually give you a $25, give or take, dinner stipend anytime you stay past, say, 7 p.m. And you pretty much stay past 7 p.m. every single day, Monday through Friday. So I pretty much never had to pay for dinner, at least on the weekdays. But I did have to pay for lunch on the weekdays, which costs about $75 per week. I also had to pay for food on the weekends. And when you're living in an apartment with three dudes who just graduated from college, let's be honest, nobody's cooking, right? So we always ate out, which made it a little bit more expensive. But on average, I would say weekend food expenses came out to 80 to $100 per week, depending on how much I decided to splurge. So let's call it around $90. So in an average month, which has about 4.3 weeks, 52 divided by 12, I'm spending about $715 on food expenses. That takes me down to $21.35. Next, we have utilities, which between internet, water, electricity, and garbage pickup, added up to about $150 per person per month inside of our apartment. So now I'm down to $19.85. Next, I had to make monthly payments on my student loans. I graduated with about $30,000 of debt. And back then the interest rates were actually a lot higher than they are now. So I was paying about 6.5% on a 25 year term loan. Long story short, the monthly payments came out to be approximately $200 a month, which meant I had about $1,785 left after everything is said and done. Then there's the transportation costs. And again, work will pay for your taxi or Uber rides home late at night. So that part is covered. But in the morning, I lived close enough to the office. So it was just a 30 minute walk to work. I walked every day to save just a little bit of money. Plus it was good exercise. So the only transportation expenses happened on the weekends when I went out, which was about $85 per month. So now I'm down to about $1,700 left in my bank account. The good news is I'm done with all the necessities. So now the real fun begins. What did I do with the rest of the money? Well, you have to understand when you work in investment banking, you're under a lot of stress, especially during the weekdays. You're working long hours. You don't really have time to do anything except work and sleep. And you don't really get to see anyone except your coworkers. So a lot of times you feel like you're kind of living for the weekends. This also meant though that every Friday and Saturday, unless I was stuck at work cranking on a live deal, I pretty much made sure that I went out and partied as hard as I could with my friends. I needed to blow off some steam, right? Because if I didn't, then I probably wouldn't have made it through the three years I spent as an analyst. At least I wouldn't have done it in a sane way. Plus, when you go from making $0 at age 20 to suddenly making $120,000 one year later at age 21, you feel like you're pretty damn rich, even though you're not. But what's the point of being rich if you can't flaunt it, right? And so at least that's what I thought at the time, which is really silly in hindsight. But even though I'm embarrassed to say it now, back in those days, I pretty much went clubbing one or two nights a week, right? So we'll call it about six nights a month, give or take. You split a table with your buddies to impress the ladies. And each person is probably pitching in about $200 a night for the bottle service, especially after factoring in the tips and tax and everything. And so that's about $1,200 right there. And so now I'm down to my last $500 for the month, right? And the last $500 for the month basically was my slush fund, okay? Some months I would invest it in the stock market. And if it's a winner, I might go to Lake Tahoe or go snowboarding. And on some months there will be unexpected expenses that come up. So whatever it was, I always found a way to pretty much spend the last $500 as well. And so you might ask, well, what about your bonus? Well, remember how I mentioned I graduated with about $30,000 in student loans? Well, it turns out that's almost exactly what I had left from my bonus after paying half of it away in taxes to the IRS. So I decided to do the responsible thing and take my entire first year bonus and pay off my loans. Because at the time, I didn't really have any other big purchases that I needed to make. So I figured, why not become debt-free? Also, my other rationale there was that I didn't want to have to keep paying interest on that loan for the next 25 years of my life. 
And I think it was a great decision because it allowed me to become debt-free at a young age. And that feeling is completely liberating. It's like a weight that's taken off of your shoulders. And I would say that feeling is probably priceless. So at the end of the day, how did it all feel to make $120,000 and be able to have the type of lifestyle that I had? Like, did I actually feel rich as an investment banking analyst? No, not really, which is probably not what you expected to hear. But I will say this. I also didn't feel poor, which is honestly more than what most recent college graduates can say, right? Because you see, the thing is, the average college grad in the United States today makes about $50,000. And if I hadn't gotten into investment banking and I was only making $50,000 a year, could I have survived in a big city like San Francisco or New York? Well, yes, I could have made it work, I'm sure. But, you know, let's do the math. $50,000 per year would have been around $4,167 per month. I'm sure the first thing I would have cut out is the $1,000 a month and 401k contributions. I just won't save for retirement at that point, right? I'll worry about that later. Then after taxes, I would have about $3,167 left, okay? And from there, the $900 in rent stays the same, right? The food expenses probably go up to $1,000 since I would no longer get the dinner stipend that investment makers get. So now I'm down to $1,267, okay? Add in the $150 for utilities and the $200 for student loan payments. And now I'm down to $917. Transportation, let's just say it stays at $85, which leaves me $832. And so that leaves me about $28 a day as my slush fund, which I can use to cover unexpected expenses or spend on whatever I want, right? But remember, by doing this, I would have $0 in my 401k. I would still have my entire $30,000 student loan balance that I need to continue paying interest on into the indefinite future. And I would have had a lot less excess cash flow that I could invest, right? So in other words, due to the law of compounding in the long run, I would have been much worse off financially. So all in all, I would say, I'm grateful that I was able to start my career in investment banking and not even just because of the first year pay, but more importantly, the pay bumps that you get in the subsequent years as you progress up the ladder is much higher than what you would get in most other industries. By the time I made it into private equity, just my fourth year out of school, because I did three years of investment banking, I was making over $200,000 a year. And because of this, I've been fortunate enough to never really have to worry about money since I graduated, which is a night and day difference from how I grew up, right? And remember, a first year analyst today makes upwards of $130,000 to $200,000. So the pay is much higher than it was back in my days when even a top bucket analyst like myself only made $120,000. Now, obviously the cost of living has gone up as well, but definitely I would say not as much as the growth in investment banking compensation. With that said, if you're attracted to investment banking as a career because of the money, I don't blame you. In fact, I can think of very few reasons that are more important than financial security or better yet, financial freedom. Now, of course, a piece of advice, make sure you at least still find the work in investment banking to be somewhat interesting, okay? Because if you don't, you're going to be pretty miserable no matter how much money you make and you most likely won't be very good at your job. But as they say, nothing good comes easy. So if you're serious about getting one of the highest paying jobs out of school, make sure you're ready to put in the work to make it happen. If you need help with that, feel free to reach out to our team and we'll be happy to help you out. Thanks for listening to this episode. Interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there? Head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST, so it's really wall, stmastermind.com slash apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.